Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. His speech colored the canvas of the cosmos. His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light. But this new creation, the very good dwelling in delight, reached for mouth-watering wisdom and took a bite. With paradise behind them, they trod the dirt from which they'd been made, hoping, praying someday the voice would enter our world. He did, and nothing would ever be the same. Well, welcome everybody. I want to ask you a question. Is it an urban myth or is it true that when human beings get lost, they end up walking in circles? What do you think? Well, researchers, scientists decided to resolve the whole question and they selected some individuals and had them go walking. One of the places they did this was in the Boonwald forest of Germany. They equipped them with tracking devices, monitored them by satellite, and lo and behold, when it was all said and done, the scientists discovered that when human beings have a point of reference like the sun or the moon, they can pretty much walk a straight line. But if the sun or moon disappear or clouded over, they really do end up going in circles. Here's a satellite map that shows the actual results of the study, the forest there in Germany. Obviously, this group was doing fine. They must have been able to see the sun or the moon because they're heading pretty straight. And whoever was here started out okay, but then the sun or the moon disappeared under the clouds. And as you can see, they went in circles. And this poor group, it must have been like a really bad cloudy day because they are just totally going in circles. If you ever have, want to have some fun, uh, go find a really wide open space. Make sure there's no obstacles in the way. Blindfold somebody and uh, tell them to walk straight. You'll be amazed at how pretty soon they start curving around in circles. Say, so what is that all about? Well, I want to share that with you because that's how I kind of see our culture today. I see a lot of people who are walking in circles. The culture has clouded a true point of reference and people are just wandering around trying to figure out who am I, why am I here, what is life all about. And that has a lot to do with this brand new series that we are in, From Head to Leb. Not just knowing about God in our minds, as important as that is, but knowing God with our hearts, getting our point of reference clear and following him and walking with him, which is what he wants so much for us. In this first season called Beginnings, we're talking about starting that journey with God. And we said that one of the things we have to be really clear on is who we believe God to be. And so last weekend, if you missed it, you can go online. We talked about who is Jesus, and I hope you agree with me at the end that he indeed is the Son of God. He is very God. And so now the question is, now that I know who he is, who am I? Who are you? And so whether you are at one of our um, multi-sites or at one of our microchurches, or if you're there in your home up in Canada, or in California, or wherever you might be in the world joining us right now, I want you to do something. I want you to say something, if you believe it, 
uh, out loud, all right? And it's really simple. All I want you to say is, I am a creation of God. So here we go. Ready? Say it. I am a creation of God. Awesome. Now, if you happen to be with some folks uh, wherever you are joining us right now, here at our own campus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at somebody and I want you to say to them, you are a creation of God. So you ready? Here we go. Say it. You are a creation of God. Now, I may have seemed a little bit awkward. Hopefully it was kind of fun. But if you really stop and think about, think about it, there's something very, very powerful about that. If you honestly believe that you are a creation of God, then how you see yourself and how you see others, whether it's your family members or whether it's friends or peers or strangers, and get this, even, even your enemies. <laughs> they may be atheists, they may be agnostics, they may not like you, but they are still, even if they are rebelling against God, they are still God's creation. And until we start to see God for who he is in ourselves in light of who he is as his creation, we're never going to have that heart relationship with God that we're after in this series. Imagine how special that is right now. You, you are God's creation. You're his special idea. And all those people around you are his special creation as well. And that should kind of change our whole perspective of how we think about people and how we address people and how we look at people. So in order for us to come to grips with all of this, I want to go to John, again, chapter 1. We're spending a lot of time in this first season called Beginnings, looking at several different episodes, because we really want to be clear before we start this journey with Jesus, who he is and, and who we are. Listen to what John says in chapter 1. He says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Notice what it says. It says, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell us about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he what? He created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Now, next weekend, you got to make sure you join me because we're going to talk about something that we speak of all the time but don't really understand. And unfortunately, our friends who may not know Jesus or who question Jesus are oftentimes thrown off by the way we talk about sin. So next weekend, I want to talk about what sin is, why man rejected God, and maybe some wrong ways we've been thinking about sin or using that topic. But obviously this weekend, we're talking about the, the word created, what it means to be 
God's very unique and God's very special creation. You see, for you and for me to know that I am created by God and you are created by God gives us a point of reference. It is a truth for us to believe in. It is a truth for us to follow. Now, when I say truth, okay, I, I don't mean that it's something subjective. It's an idea. You know, you have your truth, I have my truth. What I mean is, it is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. No man comes to the Father, but how? But through me. So let's look at the blessings and the benefits that come by way of knowing I'm created by God. I, I want you, when this message is done, I want you to just walk away feeling so blessed, so enriched, so encouraged because you know who you are and the truth is like an anchor for you. So I've got a couple of uh, things you can write down that might encourage you, kind of keep with you and meditate on. Here's the first one. Simply as God's creation, we have the benefit of knowing where we have come from and where we are are going. You see, you're not an accident. I'm not an accident. We're not the result of chance and chemistry and biology and evolution and, you know, we just kind of showed up, you know, one in a gazillion chances and boom, here we are. You know, the problem with believing that is it's illogical. It doesn't even make sense. And so oftentimes, a lot of people don't think through what they say they believe in or don't believe in. They don't think through the logical consequences of that. I mean, if you're an accident, I'm an accident, we're just here, we've talked about this before, then there is no need, there really, I mean, is no need for morals. Morals are just a human idea to control people. I mean, who says I have to be moral? Who says there has to be justice? What is justice? Who says there has to be equity? Honestly, it's like, it's like it is in the jungle, in the, in the rainforest, and you know, amongst the wild animals. It's every one for themselves. Who are you to tell me how I can live? And who are you to tell me how I can act? And who are you to tell me what I can have and cannot have? Why do I have to listen to you know, this segment of the culture's mandate? If you don't have a true moral absolute that governs everyone, if you're just an accident, think it through. It is so illogical. It just leads to chaos, which is, you know, a lot of what we're experiencing these days in our culture. This summer, I came across a, a headline that, uh, I mean, it, it struck me as humorous at first, but I want to share it with you <clears throat> because it's the epitome of what happens if you take this idea that we're all, you know, basically animals. Uh, before I, I share it with you, though, I, I want to read something to you uh, by way of a brilliant mathematician, uh, philosopher and follower of Christ, John Lennox. Uh, he wrote a book called Seven Days That Divide the World. And in that book, he quotes uh, the most, what he says is the most influential contemporary ethicist, okay? Now listen to what this ethicist from Princeton says. He says, whatever the future holds, it is likely to prove impossible to restore in full the sanctity of life view. 
the philosophical foundations of this view have been knocked asunder. We can no longer base our ethics on the idea that human beings are special form of creation made in the image of God, singled out from all other animals, and alone possessing an immortal soul. In other words, he's saying scientifically and uh, uh, intellectually, we, we realize now that, you know, we're no different than the animals, and, and you can't base your ethics on some kind of big moral absolute and some immortal soil, uh, soul, which is kind of scary if you follow it through. He goes on and he says, our better understanding of our own nature has bridged the gulf that was once thought to lie between ourselves and other species. So why should we believe that the mere fact that a being is a member of the species Homo sapiens endows its life with some unique, almost infinite value? Now keep that in mind, and here's the headline I read this summer. Woman banned from zoo after unhealthy relationship with chimp. He loves me, she said. And, and here's the picture of uh, the zoo, the chimp, and the woman. Uh, this is uh, Cheetah. He's a 38-year-old chimp. I don't know what her name is, all right? But there she is for four years. She was coming to the Antwerp Zoo and visiting Cheetah, the 38-year-old chimp. And they developed a relationship. And what happened is that the officials, I don't know why it took them four years, began to notice that the other primates were shunning Cheetah. Do you know why? Because he was not behaving like a primate. Now, it's funny, it's sad, it's absurd, but if you follow the logic of our culture today, if you do believe we're all here by accident, that there's no difference, as Paul Singer, the ethicist there at Princeton says, between us and the animals, then this woman ought to be able to see cheetah. They ought to be able to get married, spend the rest of their lives together. If you're going to take that kind of mindset seriously, and of course, it just shows how absurd it really is. Every time, and teach this to your students, every time, someone presents them with what is called a truth or a worldview. Don't take it at face value. Why is it we want to scrutinize Christianity, but we'll take a worldly view and never think it all the way through? Now, obviously, there's some people that don't think we're an accident. They do believe that we are spiritual beings, but what they believe is that we are living in a world of illusion. And so a lot of Eastern religion, which, you know, the uh, elitists of our country are into, you hear about celebrities that are really into Eastern religion, uh, has this idea that the physical world is an illusion. And what we have to do, and our bodies are a prison, and what we have to do is we have to transcend this illusion. Suffering is an illusion. The world's an illusion. We have to transcend it and become one with the greater force of the universe. Well, I've had the opportunity, I'm sure many of you have as well, to visit countries where Eastern religion, like Hinduism, Buddhism, and other forms are very strong, are kind of their national belief and religion. And while I love and care deeply for those people, I am always taken back when I'm there in light of that belief system, the poverty, the perversion, 
the selling and buying of young girls and boys, the caste system and putting people down, and just the, the, the wickedness that's there. I mean, it's not working. <laughs> and talk about going in circles. How many times do I have to come back in this life before I somehow escape the illusion of this life? And we could take many other views, religious, philosophical views, and, and come up with the same conclusion. It doesn't work. And I know there are bad Christians out there. I mean, Christians who set bad examples. I know Christianity as a group sometimes has said and done terrible things. I get that. I understand that. But if you take the faith and you take sincere followers of Christ, and for all the negative you hear in the, in the headlines, there are so many positives like you who love God and love others. You're trying to do your best. If you take it sincerely, it works. And you know it works because you experience it. And it transforms your life unlike anything else can transform you. Let's look at a second blessing that comes our way. As God's creation, we have a very special relationship with him that makes us unlike any other creature. There is nobody, there is nothing in all of creation that is more unique than you and me. Everything else pales in comparison to how God made you and how God made me. Let's look at a familiar passage of Scripture in the book of Genesis. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Didn't say that about the monkey. Didn't say that about the giraffe. They will reign over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along in the the ground or on the ground. Now, do you see why it's so important to see who God is and see ourselves as God sees us? It just solves an enormous amount of problems that our culture is wrestling with because we don't see God for who he is and therefore we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. And so we are in this desperate search for identity and, and it's sad to see all the wrong and the sad ways that we do that. We could just accept how God sees us. Why don't you imagine with me for a moment, use your God-given imagination, even though it's hard to conceive, of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. As we learned last weekend, one essence but three distinct personalities pouring into each other. Their love for one another, pouring into each other, their radiant glory, pouring into each other the joy of one another. I mean, it's, can't even imagine it. Before time ever began, before there was even a star in the sky, God was one essence, three persons loving each other in such an intense environment, such spiritual, such loving intimacy. It was out of that 
that God, in that love, because God is love, created all of what we call creation, and particularly you and me. I want to read to you again from John Lennox, the brilliant uh, mathematician and philosopher. He says, God is not some distant deistic figure uninterested in his work. He regards his creation with the enthusiasm and joy of the skilled artist who is delighted at what he has done as he sees it formed and organized step by step until the wonderful harmony of his completed work lies before him, thoroughly fit for the glorious purpose for which he intended it. When I was in about eighth grade, I took a woodshop class and I made two things. I had a project that I made a knife and fork box with, and then I had another project that I made this this gun rack could hold two guns. I tell you what, I poured myself into those two projects. I measured, I cut, I sanded, I glued, I nailed, or else I, you know, put the screws in. I stained it, I varnished it, and on the day that I got to take home, I was so excited. I put that gun rack over one shoulder, I put the knife and fork box under one arm, and I walked those two miles to home. And in the wintertime, I had to walk barefoot those two miles to home. Just kidding, all right? But really, I had to walk two miles. We didn't have, uh, my dad had the car. He uh, was in Canada. We lived in the United States at that time. And so I'd walk to school back and forth. And on that spring day, man, I carried that gun rack and I carried that, that knife and fork box. And I hoped everybody would see it. And everybody would be thinking, wow, look what he made. Man, that looks really good. And I couldn't wait to get home. And I remember when I finally was able to present it to my mom and my dad, you would have thought that I had handed them the crown jewels. My mom made over that knife and fork box like she never received such a great gift. She put some silverware in it. My dad hung up the the gun rack. And you want to know something? What made me the proudest, what made me the happiest was their delight in what I had made. That made me then so delighted and so happy. And I just love that story when when God makes his creation and he looks at it and he says, that's good. The stars are good. The moon is good. I mean, what we see is different from what God saw at the very beginning because sin has, has wrecked nature. It's wrecked us. But even now, A starlit night, oh my goodness, so beautiful. And God saw the ocean, and God saw the the land, and God saw the mountains, and God saw the valleys, and God saw the meadows, and God saw the forest, and God saw all the animals. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He's not talking about moral goodness. It's just, it's like, I made it, it's good. And then he made Adam, and then out of Adam he formed Eve, and God looked, and there was nothing, nothing, no one as good as them. Now, you might think you've got a great body. You may think you're really good looking. You probably are. But I want to tell you something. We pale in comparison to what Adam and Eve must have been like and the powers that they had before sin wrecked us. I mean, we are just a, we're just a taste of what we will someday be when Christ returns and gives us our our new, renewed bodies. 
But God looked at them and God said, that is so good. And you know something? God also empowered them to join him in partnership in managing creation. And God not only empowered them to help manage creation, but God invited them into creativity. And I just think about marriage, for instance, between husband and wife. And when they conceive and they have a child, and that child is born. And those parents hopefully look at that child with eyes of love and affection and depth. It's just a small taste of how God feels about you and how God feels about me. And by the way, God hasn't stopped creating. Every time a baby is born, do you realize that's a result of God's creative activity? Every time spring comes around and everything flowers up and the tree and the leaves come out, that's indication of God's creative activity. God, you know, the Bible tells us, Colossians 1, that, that all of creation is held together by Jesus, the creator. So God hasn't stopped creating. Creation still matters so much to God. And if you see it as God's creation, you do think about it differently, don't you? At least I hope you do. You do tend to handle it differently and see it as far more a precious resource because God made it. God put it all together. But you know what happened? Man turned, women turned their backs on God. And they said, we want to be our own God. We don't want you to be our God. They listened to the lie of the evil one. We'll talk more about that next weekend. And God could have turned his back on them and it could be all over. But what did God do? God went in search of us like we talked about last weekend. To do what? To bring us back into relationship with him. Back into partnership with him. Because God wants to bless us and God wants to use us. And listen to this. You know, it says in the book of Genesis that God was walking in the cool of the garden. Do you realize that God fellowshiped with Adam and Eve in the garden? That the garden had become kind of God's temple and he was there with them? And then, you know, later on, God's God's presence with them is in the tabernacle and then later on it's in the holy holies of the temple. Hey, listen to this. Do you know where God's presence is? Do you know where his habitation is now? His habitation is in you and his habitation is in me. Now last weekend, if you're here, I told you I was going to share something with you I never thought about before. And it just, it just kind of, it just, it just um, captured my mind. Maybe it won't do that for you. You probably had that experience where something really, you know, touched you and enlightened you and you shared it with somebody else and they said, oh, okay. So if this is an, oh, okay moment, you already knew this, it just meant a lot to me. But, but John Lennox brought this point out and it's just been, I've just been thinking about it ever since. He said, do you guys, he says, do you realize that God created us the way he did because he knew that one day he would have to become one of us and this would be the only acceptable way that he would do it? You and I were formed for the inhabitation of God. So the next time you look at somebody, you look at yourself in the mirror, remember that. God knew what he would have to do to redeem us. He knew what would happen. And so when he thought of how he would form us, out of the dust of the ground, he formed us in such a way 
and he'd be able to live in us. Man, that makes you priceless. That makes the life of every unborn, every child, every woman, every boy, every girl priceless. That's why pornography is so awful. That's why the sex trade is so awful. That's why rape is so awful. That's why the mistreatment of women and girls is so awful. That's why sexual abuse is so awful. It's God's temple. It's God's temple. You are God's temple. I am God's temple. And he so wants to dwell in you and me. Let's look at another blessing. As God's one-of-a-kind creation, we should be the most joyful creatures in the universe. Really. And I need to hear that myself. I don't always have a lot of joy. I don't always express joy. But we should be the most joyful creatures in the universe. Why? Let's look at a couple reasons why. Number one, you and I can rejoice that We've been chosen by God to be in relationship with him. Look what uh, Paul writes. He says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him what? It gave him great pleasure, even knowing he'd have to go to the cross to redeem us. For joy, it says, Jesus based the cross, the joy of redeeming us. Number two, another reason. You can rejoice that someday you will rule and reign with Christ over all of his renewed creation. It's what he intended in the first place for Adam and Eve and their progeny. Look what it says here in the book of Revelation. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they'll see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord will shine on them. Look at the last line. And they will reign forever and ever. You know, the universe is vast. Space is vast. I have no idea what God has in mind for us in the future. I don't know if it's going to be the exploration of this universe. I have no idea. I have no idea what it's going to be like. But it's beyond our imagination. We're not going to be sitting around playing harps. We're going to be working with God in partnership with him. And thirdly, you can rejoice in God's ongoing creative works. And I just kind of already talked about that. God hasn't stopped creating. I love this passage in uh, Job. It says, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. He holds it all together. That is our great God. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I love this time of fall, especially here in Minnesota. It is so beautiful. And, and for us, uh, for those of you who are not here in Minnesota, for us, it's just been the last, the last week has been outstanding. The sky has been so blue. And uh, the grass is so green. The leaves are just, you know, touch in some places. The tops are starting to turn. The air is so fresh. And I just love being out in nature. And I just love going for walks or just sitting on my front porch or going for a run or going for a bike ride and just, just being aware. In fact, the other day, what caught me is God did this not just for his own glory, but he did this for my joy. 
and my satisfaction. I just started praising God for the colors and the beauty that I was seeing and that I was receiving, which takes me to the last blessing. Here it is. Ready? As God's creation, he has given us a Sabbath in order to keep a Godward perspective and keep us from walking in circles. And if there's one command, we believers are so guilty of disobeying and abusing, it's this concept of the Sabbath. God made us to need a Sabbath. And one of the reasons God made the Sabbath is so that we won't walk in circles, so that we'll keep the right perspective. Therefore, if you don't keep the Sabbath, you lose perspective. You lose the heart relationship with God. God loves to walk with his people. Read Genesis to Revelation. When Jesus is on earth, he walks with his disciples. In the Old Testament, God walked with Abraham, walked with Moses. God loves to walk with us. He loves to spend time with us. It was Jesus who said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the uh, British chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, and I like to read some of his writings, says about the Sabbath, it is a day that sets a limit to our intervention in nature and to our economic activity. We become conscious of being creations, not creators. The earth is not ours, but God's. The Sabbath is a weekly reminder of the integrity of nature and the boundaries of human striving. Where's the time in your life? When do you take time in your life to Sabbath with God? To be still? And to be aware of him. Where is that time in your life when you become present to his presence? This summer on my sabbatical, one of the things that God revealed to me is just how the busyness of our culture and the busyness of this world steals away the time we need with God. And you know what we do? We bring that busyness into the life of the church, don't we? We're busy with our programs busy with our strategies, busy with our buildings, busy with our goals, busy with our you know, classes, busy with our projects. And I'm not saying that stuff is wrong, but you can get so busy even in the life of the church that you're exhausted. We've got to figure out how to unbusy ourselves. Do less and have more of that heart relationship. You, those of you who are families, those of you who have marriages, you know that. You and your spouse are just going, 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 going. Your kids are just going, going here and there. You never have time to just be with each other. You get cranky. You get impatient with each other. You let the culture dictate your schedule. Where's the time for God? If you really believe he is who he is and you're his creation, maybe it's time to make some changes. Maybe we as a church need to rethink it. Maybe we're too busy. How do we spend more and more time with God? I read about a peasant, I think in Scotland someplace, who was a villager way back when. And every day he would go into the 
the worship center of the little church there. And he would just sit there for like an hour. He would just sit there. And the, the parish priest would kind of watch and wonder why the old man kept showing up and sitting there every day. And finally one day the parish, uh, parish priest just thought, I can't take this anymore. I got to find out what's going on. And he walked up to the man and he said, Man, he says, why are you here? You know, aren't you wasting a lot of time? The old man looked at the priest, the young priest, and he said, Ah, lad, when I come here, I look at him, and he looks at me, and we tell each other how much we love each other. I love that story. I'm not wasting time. I'm just looking at God, and God's looking at me, and I'm telling him how much he loves me, and he's telling me, how much he loves me. And I'm telling him how much I love him. Where's that time in your life when you do that with God? When you tell him how much you love him and he tells you how much he loves you. I um, heard about a story in the old days, you know, when they didn't have refrigerators, they would build these um, ice houses and they would kind of dig out the floor and then in the wintertime they'd go and they'd chisel out from ponds or lakes uh, big chunks of ice and they'd, they'd stick it in the floor and they would cover it with layers of sawdust. It would create a very insulated, very cold place so they could keep the precious things. And the story goes that there were a group of men who were building one of these ice houses and Inadvertently, one of the men who had a very uh, expensive timepiece uh, dropped it in the ice house. And when he announced it, they all started looking. And, and as hard as they looked and brushed the sawdust around, they could not find it. So they all walked outside and they're talking to each other and they're, and they're wondering, like, where could it possibly be? And this little boy shows up and he sticks out his hand and there it is. And the owner says, where did you find that? He says, I found it in the ice house. He said, well, we looked in the ice house. We didn't see it. How did you find it? He said, well, I went in there and I laid on the ice and I got really quiet and I listened until I could hear it ticking. And then I knew where it was. Would you just bow your heads wherever you are right now and close your eyes and just be still? Can you hear God's heart ticking with his love for you. Father, I pray this coming week we'd all take a little Sabbath to be still and know that you are God. To hear your heartbeat with our heartbeat. And Father, may your heart and our hearts merge together. May we learn to live longing to meet you every day. And may we not let anything keep us from meeting you. Help us to understand that for our lives. Help us to understand that for our church, O oh God. That when we gather together, wherever it might be, in a house, in a building, wherever it might be, we'd be able to hear you with our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, I want to leave you with an assignment for next time. Here it is. Help you out. Number one, this week, set aside time to be in nature. Become aware of God's creation. Go for a walk. Go for a walk if you have time today. As you experience creation, turn your thoughts towards God. Right? Number three, ask God each day to help you see yourself as his creation and see others the same way. And last but not least, tell someone why their life matters to God so much. Encourage you to do that. Try it out and see how God changes your whole perspective this week. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.